Let us begin by speaking about what it means to be commissioned. <clears throat> the word commission means to send, but not just to send. It means to send with authority to accomplish a mission. The one who commissions must possess authority in order to delegate authority. The ones who are commissioned receive the delegated authority. Their authority is specified and limited by the one who commissions. Now notice that the word commission is a compound word, co-mission. It indicates that the ones who are sent do not define the mission. The mission is defined by the sender, and the ones who are sent are authorized and entrusted to act on behalf of the sender. It is the duty, it is the duty of the sent ones to undertake and accomplish the mission using the authority delegated to them in accordance with the instructions established by the authorized user. With these things in mind, I'll preach this morning on the topic of being commissioned by Christ, the mission of the church. From our text and supporting text, I want to ask and answer four questions this morning. Number one, to whom does the church belong? Number two, what is the church? Number three, what is the primary purpose, purpose of the church? Which is to say, what is it that the church is to accomplish? And then fourthly, the question is, what is the church commissioned to do? Or how is the church to accomplish God's purpose for it? How is the church to accomplish God's purpose for it? <clears throat> well, in Matthew chapter 16, you'll find that Jesus has asked his disciples to tell him who the people think he is. Who do they say that I am? They told him that some say John the baptizer back from the dead, and some say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Look with me as I read beginning in verse 15. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of it today to the glory of Christ, for the good of his people, Father, the evangelism of the lost. Now, Lord, I confess to you and to my people that I am weak, and I pray that your strength will be made perfect in my weakness. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first question I would like to ask and answer is, to whom does the church belong? To whom does the church belong? Well, friends, the church belongs to the Lord Jesus. Look at our text this morning. He says, I will build my church. Notice that first word, I. I will build my church. He will build it by himself, exclusively, single-handedly, with no help from anyone. The Lord Jesus is the architect of his church. He is the surveyor of his church. He is the supplier of the materials. He is the builder of the church, and he is the building inspector of the church. 
I will build my church, the Lord says. He says, I will build my church. It is inevitable. It is inescapable. It is unavoidable. And it is certain that Jesus will build His church. He will be opposed, but He will not be stopped. He said, I will build my church. Notice, He didn't say, I will create my church. He didn't say, I will make my church appear. He said, I will build my church. The growth of the church of Christ is progressive. It's not immediate. The Lord Jesus will shape it. He forms it. He composes it. It's arranged by the Lord Jesus. It is He that organizes it, and it is He that unites His church. It is a process. It is ongoing. It is always advancing, and it is irreversible. Jesus said, I will build my church. My church. The church belongs to Christ. Not to a group, not to a denomination, not to a pastor, not to a board of elders. The church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He purchased it with His very own blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The church is His possession. He is the owner. He is the director. He is the authority. He is the title holder. He is the sole proprietor of the church. He is not a consultant. He is the controller. He is not a landlord. He is the sovereign Lord of the church. He is the supreme sender. His church is composed of submitted servants. He said, I will build my church. Who is the church? Well, the church simply are those whom the Father has given him. Those for whom he died. Those for whom his blood was shed. Those who he redeemed. All that the Father has given him will come to him. He told Peter upon this rock, certainly not the rock that was Peter, that was a play on words. You can see that even in our English language. Upon this rock, what rock? The faith in Christ that comes by God's sovereign grace. It was not flesh and blood that revealed it to Peter. It was the sovereign grace of Almighty God. That is the foundation of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said this, the gates of hell shall not, shall not prevail against it. Rest assured, my brothers and sisters, that the Lord Jesus Christ will irresistibly accomplish His purpose in His church without fail. Amen. The second question I'd like to ask and answer is this. What is the church? What is the church? The Bible identifies three institutions that are ordained by God. And all three of the institutions that are ordained by God are closely associated with mighty acts of God. There is the family, marriage and the family. There is government, and there is the church. Now, marriage and family are the very basic unit of society and was ordained by Almighty God at creation. When God unleashed His creative power and spoke everything into existence that there is by His Word. By the Word of His power, He spoke it into existence. And at creation, he ordained marriage and family to establish his order in physical procreation, in provision and protection and leadership inside the household. Marriage and family is a God-ordained institution. And then, the second God-ordained institution is civil government for the good of society at large. It was ordained after judgment. 
And not just any judgment, but after the judgment of the catastrophic worldwide flood. God ordained civil government to provide order and leadership and protection and for the common good and for the enforcement of laws and for domestic tranquility and for the resolution of disputes in a fallen, corrupted world. The family at creation. Civil government after judgment. And then third and finally, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is how the kingdom of God operates in the age in which we live. It was ordained after the resurrection, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about the church speaks of victory over death. Everything about the church speaks of life. It was ordained after the resurrection of Christ to provide spiritual order, spiritual leadership, spiritual provision, spiritual protection, and fellowship, the unity of fellowship and disciplines to the sons and daughters in the family of God. The word that we get our English word church from was in common use at the time of Christ and Peter and Paul. The word church means the called out ones. The called out ones. And it indicates an assembly. The word's also used to describe a gathering. A gathering of those who have been summoned for a definite purpose. Do you get that? A gathering of those that have been summoned for a definite purpose. Now in the New Testament, the word church can refer to the church at large. But most often, it refers to a local church. A definite local assembly of believers with pastors and deacons and members. This local church is the physical assembly of Christians. We meet, we congregate, we get together, particularly on the Lord's Day, to worship our Lord, to read and be instructed from the Scriptures, and to fellowship with one another. The local church is the institution that is ordained and commissioned by the Lord to provide the spiritual order, leadership, provision, protection, fellowship, and discipline that each and every believer is designed by God to need. There is no other place where those things can be found other than in the local church. The local church is the one institution that is ordained and commissioned by the Lord to provide the spiritual order and leadership and provision and protection and fellowship and discipline that each and every one of us that knows the Lord Jesus Christ is designed by God to need. The importance for believers to regularly attend the assembly of the saints cannot be overstated. The importance for believers to regularly attend the assembly of the saints cannot be overstated. There is nothing in the world that is more personal than your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is absolutely personal between you and the Lord Jesus, but it's not private. 
Christianity is not designed by Almighty God to be practiced in private. It is designed to be practiced in an assembly of believers that you associate yourself with and are a member of, and it is there that you find where your spiritual provision is, where your spiritual protection is, where there is unity in fellowship, fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a place of safety. Brother, I've been a Christian for a long, long time, and I've never really been a member of a church, or I've never really been serious about my church membership. Does that mean that I don't know the Lord? It doesn't mean that you don't know the Lord, but it means that you're leaving home with a nail in your tire and knowing all about it. There is catastrophe waiting ahead if you don't do something. We need to pay attention to what the Lord Jesus says about his church. He is the husband. We're the bride. He loves his people. He has every reason to expect his people to be fully involved and committed to a local assembly of believers. Why? Because believers need fellowship. Believers need fellowship. I need it. You need it, my brother and sister in Christ. There are 168 hours in the week. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly tempting us and trying us and trashing us for somewhere in the neighborhood of 167 of those 168 hours through the community of the fallen world in which we live. The community of the fallen world in which we live. There's a lot of places that we experience community particularly the community of the world. The word community simply means being in the, in the company of people that share mutual interests. Community is just being in the company of people that share mutual interests. So in one sense, a local church is a community, but that falls far, far short of what the truth about the local church is. When we contrast community and the fellowship that we experience with the Lord's people, we see this. That if community is simply being the company of people that share mutual interest, fellowship is the unity, the unity of a common faith, a common conviction, a common unity even, and a common purpose in Christ Jesus. I know an old preacher way down in the very southern part of the state. He can stand on his front porch and look to Louisiana. Simply, it's just across the road. And the brother says that fellowship can be thought of as fellows in the same ship. We're headed to the same place, in the same ship, with the same goal, with the same resources, and with all things in common, friends, that far exceeds any sense of community. I'm talking about Christian fellowship between brothers and sisters that associate themselves together in a local church. That which unites us in the local church is greater than that which divides us. That one thing that unites us in the local church is greater than that which divides us. We are defined and we are unified in the local church by our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ is what unifies us, and it is greater than anything that divides us. When we come in and we sit down with brothers and sisters, we don't look around and see Jews and Gentiles. We are one in Christ. 
We are not separated and divided by race. We see no black or white. We are one in Christ. You may be a Democrat. You may be a Republican. It makes no difference. Leave it on the parking lot when you come through those doors. We are one in Christ. There is no male and there is no female. Rich and poor make no difference. We are not separated by the educated and the uneducated. But praise God, Christ has torn down all the walls, all the walls which divide us. We are defined and we are unified and we fellowship based on our identity in Christ. The Lord God has determined that it is in the local church that believers experience spiritual order and leadership that believers find spiritual provision and spiritual protection and enjoy the fellowship of unity with other believers. My third question that I'd like to ask and answer is, what is the primary purpose of a local church? What is the primary purpose of a local church? Another way to ask that question is this, what is it that the local church is to accomplish? What is it that we are to accomplish? Well, simply, my brothers and sisters, to glorify the Father in Christ Jesus through His Spirit. To glorify the Father in Christ Jesus through His Spirit. Well, that begs the question, how is this accomplished? Two ways. Number one, by being the means, by being the means that God uses to call His elect out of darkness and into light and bring them into His kingdom. That's another way of saying that the local church is the means by which God most often calls sinners to salvation for His glory and their good. And the second part of that answer is this, is that the local church is most often the means that God uses to mature His children and to equip them to do the work of the ministry. Evangelism and discipleship Salvation and sanctification. That is the purpose of the local church. That is how we glorify God the Father through Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus through His Spirit. Now I would not leave you without a scriptural example. Let me refer you to Ephesians chapter 3. There, in Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said that it was given to him to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel in order to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now listen. So that through the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Through the church. He said, this is according to the eternal purpose. It's according to the eternal purpose that the wisdom of God is made manifest through the church. This is according to the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. For this purpose, he says, for this purpose, so that Christ may dwell in His people's hearts through faith. That they might be rooted and grounded in love that they might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God, that is, with Christ Jesus, in whom the fullness of God dwells. 
That's what we're here to accomplish, is that through Midtown Baptist Church that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known in accordance with the eternal purpose which was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, which simply means that we're here to shine the light toward the Lord Jesus. We are here to point the lost to the Lord Jesus. We are here to point the saved toward the Lord Jesus. That's our job. We're pointers. We ought not be setters. We're pointers toward the Lord Jesus. Why? So that He might dwell in His people's hearts through faith, that they might be rooted and grounded in love, and that they might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God that is with Christ Jesus, in whom the fullness of God dwells. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God the Father, is found in the church. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. He said, To Him be glory in the church. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's the primary purpose of a local church. Well, the last question that I'd like to ask and answer this morning is the one that is in the title of the sermon about being commissioned. The question is, what is the local church commissioned to do? What is the local church commissioned to do? If that's our purpose, how are we commissioned to go about accomplishing that? How is the local church to accomplish God's purpose for it? Wow. That's a very broad question, isn't it? If we stop and we contemplate all of the things that churches are engaged in and involved in, uh, if you walk in any bookstore that claims to be a seller of Christian books, you can go to that shelf that's related to to, uh, church management or church growth, and there's a very wide, wide variety of things that you can choose from. I, I don't see how it is that most churches that are out there in the world today can really get a definite and clear grip on what it is they're supposed to do in order to accomplish this purpose that God has given us, unless, of course, they go to Matthew chapter 28 and see what the Lord Jesus Christ Himself says. That was the scripture that we read this morning, and I'd like to read a part of it to you again. Before I do, just let me say, friends, the mission that the Lord Jesus Christ has sent us on is not complex. It is not a complex mission. Now, don't take that to mean that it's an easy mission. It's not. It's not an easy mission, but it's not a complex mission. Look at what he tells his disciples in verse 16, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Notice, the Lord Jesus has all the authority that there is on heaven and on earth. All the authority. that There, there is no authority on earth or in heaven that is not that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me point out the obvious. He is the sovereign Lord. What He says goes in everything, in every area. The Lord Jesus Christ alone 
has the authority to determine the mission of his church. He has commanded to his church to preach the gospel and to practice the ordinances. He has commanded his church to preach the gospel and to practice the ordinances. Now, as we break that down, it gets slightly bigger. That's evangelism and discipleship through the preaching of the gospel. And that's baptism and the Lord's table with regard to the ordinances. Brother Greg, are there other things that, that we could be doing? There certainly are. There are a lot of things that maybe we could do that are deserving of someone's attention, but these are the things that we must do. These are the things that the Lord Jesus Christ has commissioned us to do. These are the things that the Lord Jesus Christ has authorized us to do. These are the things that the Lord Jesus Christ has every right to expect us to do. As a matter of fact, these are the things that are our duty to disciple. We must baptize. We must celebrate the Lord's table. These are the words of Christ. Now, in the light of Christ's authority, in light of His authority and His command, churches are commissioned. We have been sent with authority to preach the gospel and perform the ordinances of baptism and of the Lord's table. In the light of Christ's authority, we have been commissioned to preach the gospel and perform the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's table. We preach and proclaim the gospel to the lost in order for them to be saved by grace through faith. That is evangelism. We perform the ordinance of baptism upon professors of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we preach and we teach the gospel to believers. We preach and teach the gospel to believers in order for them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. In other words, we teach them to observe and to carefully attend to the commands of Christ. That is discipleship. And we believers celebrate the Lord's table in remembrance of Him and in anticipation of His return. That is an ordinance and that is the unity of fellowship. So we preach and proclaim the gospel. That's evangelism. We perform the ordinance of baptism upon professors of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel to believers in order for them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and to observe the commands of Christ, that is discipleship. And we celebrate the Lord's table together as believers in remembrance of Him and anticipation of His return. And in that ordinance is the unity of fellowship. Not complex, but not simple. And it's very clear from the Scriptures that we cannot accomplish this mission in our own power. We require that unlimited power of the Lord Jesus Christ to be at work through us in order to accomplish the mission that he has given us. And the connection that we have to that power is through prayer. The Lord God has given us the privilege of prayer. We have unlimited access to his throne of mercy and grace. We have not because we ask not. We cannot accomplish the mission in our own strength. And we derive strength from the Lord Jesus by abiding in him and by prayer to his Father, going boldly to his throne of mercy and grace. Praise God, the mission is not dependent upon us. We're just the means that the Lord Jesus has determined to use. The mission is not dependent upon us. It is dependent upon the power of God. We're simply his means 
a tool, not a helper. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that we are in some way, shape, or form helping the Lord Jesus. Not only does he not need it, he won't accept it. You understand that all glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I don't get any glory. You don't get any glory. This church or any other church doesn't get any glory. To take that glory is to steal from the Lord Jesus. We certainly don't want to be guilty of that sin. We are a tool, not a helper. The local church is the tool that he uses to call his elect to life. I sure hope somebody out there is saying, I wish he'd give me a spiritual or a scriptural example of that before we leave. I'm going to. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, the perfect example of taking what the Lord commanded his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 is put into practice in the very first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ had promised would be poured out in power on his followers, that's the day that this occurred. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. Let me read that to you. This sermon was preached by the Apostle Peter. and blessed by God's Holy Spirit. These men and ladies had been cowering in an upper room, not knowing exactly what to think when the power of God's Holy Spirit fell upon them. There was a symbol of a cloven tongue of fire. I don't know what that means. And there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. I know that the wind is often indicative of the presence of the Spirit. There's some that say that the fire is is symbolic of his power, it's symbolic of judgment. I don't know about that, but I'm just an old country boy and I live on the top of the hill in the middle of the woods. And I know this, I know that fire comes uphill mighty fast and the worst thing that you can put with it is wind. When you get wind and you get fire together, all of a sudden you've got a lot of energy being released at one place and it is unstoppable. And when the Lord Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit of God on his disciples in that room, there was fire and there was wind. And they went from cowering in a corner to standing up in front of the very people that they had been the most scared of, and they accused them, and rightly so, of murdering the Lord of glory. And the power of God fell on that day, and many of those men were convicted by God's Holy Spirit in their heart, and they cried out, What must we do to be saved? And Peter said, Repent. Repent. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, essentially the same sermon that you get from this pulpit almost every Sunday morning. Friends, we cannot accomplish the mission in our own power. But praise God, we don't have to. We have the power of God's Holy Spirit. God will pour out His Spirit on us as He did on Peter to accomplish whatever it is that the Lord God chooses to accomplish here at Midtown Baptist Church. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received His word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now let's just look at those two verses very quickly. We're looking for preaching and evangelism. We're looking for ordinances. We're looking for the power of God. And we're looking for discipleship and fellowship. And it's all right here. So those who received His Word, there is the preaching and there is the evangelism. They received the Word that Peter preached. That Peter preached. They were baptized. There's the ordinance. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That wasn't the power of Peter. That was the power of God. 
And they devoted themselves. Those that had been added, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's the discipleship. And to the fellowship of the breaking of the bread. There's the fellowship and there's the ordinance and the prayers. I forgot to tell you to look for the prayers. There's the prayers as well. The preaching, the teaching, the ordinances, the power of God, the prayers and the fellowship. That, that is the mission that the Lord Jesus Christ authorized His disciples, yea, commanded His disciples to undertake in Matthew chapter 28. The orders remain unchanged. To summarize and conclude, my brothers and sisters, Believers experience spiritual order and spiritual leadership. They find spiritual provision and spiritual protection and enjoy the fellowship of unity with other believers in the local church. In the local church. May the Lord Jesus bless this church with a clear and biblical view of the mission that He has charged us with. Christ has commissioned Midtown Baptist Church to preach the gospel, to baptize believers to teach and disciple church members, to fellowship and celebration at the Lord's table, all after having sought the power of God in prayer. May we at Midtown Baptist Church preach the gospel clearly, boldly, regularly, prayerfully, and without apology. Amen. May we teach in submission to the Word of God and in total dependence upon His Holy Spirit. May Midtown Baptist Church, by God's grace, fulfill our mission for the glory of Christ. And may we transcend community. May we, members at Midtown Baptist Church, not be content with community. May we transcend community and experience the true unity of fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And may the Lord give an abundant harvest of souls and spiritual growth for His glory. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, we thank you for the clarity of the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ has given we, his disciples. Father, it is a responsibility and a mission that we cannot accomplish in our own power. We thank you, Father, that you have not sent us on a fool's errand, but that you have promised and you have demonstrated for generations that when we fulfill the commission, when we obey the commands, that you supply the power of your Spirit to accomplish the things that you choose to accomplish 